Mentally Unscripted, Episode 36, Our Leaders Don't Know How to Lead and Why That Matters. Welcome back to Mentally Unscripted, the podcast that's devoted to helping you improve your thinking. This is Paul. As always, I'm joined by Scott. Scott, how are you today? I'm doing great today, Paul. How about you? Can't complain. It's a beautiful day in Texas. Beautiful weather. What about you? Are you uh, beginning to see the fall weather? Starting to. It got uh, it cooled off a bit here in Denver today. It was a nice day. So All right. happy about that. That's good. I, I went from uh, waking up to 30 degrees to waking up to 70 and melting over the weekend as I took a stroll in San Antonio. So I'm, I'm enjoying everything that the Texas heat has to offer. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm not, <laughs> not going to kill it because I absolutely love Texas. So I'm, I'm glad to be back here for a while. Well, we're very happy to welcome back recurring guests. At this point, they're going to almost become regulars. We got Wiz and we've got Robert. This is the third time back. We're super excited to have you guys back. How are you guys doing today? Very well. Thank you. Doing good. Good, good, good. For the listeners, last time we had a chat, the four of us, we had a, a really good conversation about this idea of gurus. And it led to this idea of wanting to talk a little bit about leadership. And we had an offline conversation talking about the fact that I think all four of us would agree we think it's lacking. And there's probably a, a variety of reasons for that. But we thought, let's come together. Let's have a conversation about it. What we're seeing, what we think leadership is, what we're seeing as challenges today, why we think we have those challenges, and then some of our ideas of what we could do to bring it back. Because I think all four of us would agree that we'd want to see more of it. Let's start with the idea is, how do we define leadership? And uh, Robert, I'm going to start with you. What do you think of when someone says leadership? What are ideas that come into your mind? Well, regardless of what any dictionary says, my conception of leadership is someone or a group of people who are able to inspire other people to move towards a common goal. That to me is the are the necessary qualities of leadership. They, they might not be the sufficient. There might be other things that you need. But to me, that you can't have leadership. You can't be a proper leader without those qualities. In your mind, did you develop this over time of being in circumstances and seeing people with a lack of leadership or good leadership skills and reacting to it? Or was did you have a mentor in your life who was always telling you this is the way to be? It was a combination of observing what was going around in the world around me, observing politics, studying history, and being involved in business, uh, in my personal career. Wiz, what do you think about that definition? Does it align to what you think of when you think of leadership? Yeah, I, I, I would say it does. I think, you know, in a nutshell, leadership to me, and, and not saying good or bad at this point, but just leadership is influence. And if you're able to persuade a group to, to buy into a vision and to move in a certain direction, the degree of skill that you show in that is leadership. And I think there's another component to it, for me anyway, where looking at leadership through the lens of, I don't want to say morality, but principles, what's driving those decisions. And, you know, we can get into that too, but. Sure. Okay. And and what about your background leadership? Did, you know, has this evolved from having a mentor? Is this from your own experience having to become a leader in your workplace or in your other aspects of your life? How'd that come about? I would say both. I'd say, first off, from a mentor perspective, I've had probably four or five really solid leaders, both in work and in, you know, volunteer things that I've that I've done, who they're able to, to stir up this passion, at least this is how it affected me in such a way where, you know, you feel like I would walk through fire for this person, because I can see that their heart's in the right place. And they're actually good at what they do. And they're paving the way. And it's not 
all about them. It's about, you could say, grooming successors, people that can take that vision and expand upon it even after their time has passed sort of thing. So yeah, I would say mentors, number one, but then just looking at the world around me and, and like Robert said, politics and CEOs and things like that and, and seeing you know what's good, what, what appears to be good in terms of effective and what's not so good. Okay. Uh, that absolutely makes sense. I think I have some uh, similar experiences that have led me to sort of my views on leadership. But Scott, what are your thoughts there? And how do you think leadership differs from management? Or are they kind of just part and parcel? Were you reading my mind? Because that's exactly what I was going to talk about. Coming at it from a more academic standpoint, I remember when I was in business school, I was really interested in the idea of leadership. So I took leadership classes and I read a lot of books. And what it comes down to is, Robert was right, leadership is the ability to inspire people to move forward to achieve a goal. Whereas management is allocating resources to achieve some objective. So if you have to get a project done in a week, it's going to take 120 hours to do it. That means you're going to have to get three people to work 40 hours that week to achieve the project. That's management. Now, the person who comes in and gives the rah-rah, hey, guys, this is going to be great for your resume, or we need, really need to get this done, that's the leader. That's the one who's inspiring everybody to reach that goal of getting this project done in a week. One thing I noticed when I was with the government is that there was no distinction between leader and manager. If you had a management title, you were considered leadership. And they lost that distinction. They lost that idea that managers are supposed to, or that leaders are supposed to inspire. They thought that leadership was management and that allocating resources around the office, you know, wow. dividing up cases and making sure that everybody's in on time, all of that stuff, they counted that as leadership. You would notice that the morale was just terrible around both offices that I worked in. And I think that's because that there was no inspiring figure there to get a fire lit under us. And I was a, a civil rights investigator. I mean, that's a space where you should have a lot of intrinsic motivation. And yet the government, they just didn't have people in place to, to bring that intrinsic motivation out and make people really want to come in and do the job. Yeah, it does seem like a problem in a, in a highly sensitive, highly important area. But I suppose you could look at leadership and management and recognize that good skills in either one of those categories are needed across sort of all domains or, or all domains will benefit when you've got a stronger leader and even a stronger manager. I like that distinction, sort of this concept of inspiring and having a vision where I, I think we put that more in that leadership camp and then versus the allocation of resources. I think it's similar to how I would frame it. I think we've all worked for people or been led by people that lack those. And so it's easy to see what's, uh, you're looking at something or a picture and you're really, you're, it's easy to see what's missing. When the leader says, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to come in here and lead, but they, they don't inspire, uh, they don't create whiz. You were talking about sort of this devotion, right? That I will follow you into wherever we're going because the vision is bold, right? That's what the leader is intended to provide is a bold vision. About what you're going to conquer, and and you know that there has to be some danger, and I think Robert, you mentioned this offline, this idea that there's danger or risk involved with what a leader is describing. Do you think that's an accurate way of framing your thoughts on that? Yes. Now, ideally, a leader will be able to do both. He or she will be able to inspire movement and action and passion among a group of people. They'll also be able to allocate resources as necessary. However, the term bean counter is, is an insult, and, and it's an insult for a reason, I think, because if all you're focused on is numbers and budgets, 
people will view you as cold and clinical and answering only to a particular agenda. So the leader has to, in inspiring people, he's working off script in a way. He's not working according to budgets and projections. He's using emotion to get people to act. That could fail and that could fail catastrophically. And if it does fail and the leader has to go before some kind of a board or a review board or a commission, an answer for why something went wrong and didn't get done. He can't necessarily point to a plan and say the plan was wrong and defer the blame and responsibility down the line because that wasn't what was used to get people to to act. He was using his own instincts in inspiring people. So ultimately he's responsible and that puts you at risk inherently. Absolutely. That's interesting because what you just said is the first alarm or, or red flag that I see when someone says, I want to be in charge, and then they want to, they want to put the blame and put it down, down line somewhere, right? And you know, there's, there's the deflection that happens. It can be blaming technology. It can be blaming bureaucracy. It can be blaming others beyond you. And it's the, the first thing that comes to mind is you didn't have the courage to admit that your direction, your instincts, your, maybe your managerial skills fell flat. And that also tells me that you don't trust yourself to have garnered the trust of those who are following you. Because I, I don't think that leaders are perfect. I don't know, Wiz, your experience, I mean, you mentioned having these great mentors. Were they perfect? No, not at all. And I think that I like where you're going with the, you know, number one, taking responsibility, sort of the buck stops here philosophy. So working off script, right? And so you have that versus the the, the bean counters. And, and when you're working off script, it's you're sort of the impetus. You're creating this vision. It's a lot harder and it, and it requires a lot more, just many factors, right? Skill, but also charisma to be able to communicate it and, and those types of things. And where there's failure, you know, in that type of pursuit, where I'm going with this is so when there's failure with that type of pursuit, and you're able to say, hey, I failed. I think, granted, you weren't effective, but you still garner that trust and build build up that that support within your following. And they can see that you're human and they recognize that you're not perfect. In that sense, you could fail but still be a good leader, which if you are a manager is judged only on numbers, I think. So I think that that distinction becomes even more stark in those situations that you can, by a certain metric, fail to reach a goal and yet still be regarded as somebody who is inspiring. You both were dancing around a particular word, and that word is accountability. The manager or the leader has to be accountable. And Robert, I think you're 100% right. One distinction between leaders and managers in my mind is that the leader is going to be focused more long-term. They're going to be focused more on long-term direction and success of the company, but also the long-term direction and success of the employees that he's or she is inspiring. Whereas a manager, most of the time, they're focused on the quarter or you know maybe a few quarters out, but they're more on the short term. The leader is going to be taking more chances. The results are going to be less quantifiable, which is a challenge for folks who want to inspire because they don't really have numbers backing up at least directly backing up what they're doing. Whereas the manager, they get credit for putting the right people on this team and getting this thing done. The leader, sure, our profits are up, but how do we know how much of that is from the leader's inspiration and visionary ideas? So in a case like Steve Jobs, I think it's pretty obvious, but how obvious would it have been if he had never left Apple? 
and Apple hadn't gone into a tailspin while he was gone. And then he comes back and in just a handful of years, you know, they're back on top or rising. But in most situations, we don't have that baseline to look at or that metric to look at for leaders. From that standpoint, too, I think there's a lot of risk in the leadership and that long-term focus. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And I, as you were talking, I was thinking about a, a article I read years ago, and it, it was talking about why so many organizations struggle to breed leadership. And it was be, they said the the paradigm of winners versus leaders, where a person that heavily manages and they manage to specific metrics can effectively move up an organization because they're seen as winning for the organization. So they oftentimes, um, this article was talking about how salespeople uh, maybe aren't necessarily great at leadership, but they will win because they are very effective at, at getting their sales numbers up. So someone will look at that and say, hey, they're a great salesperson. They need to be in a management senior leadership role. And then you find out they don't possess some of those other skills, right? Uh, they're very good at doing something on their own and achieving within their domain, but they don't really know how to branch out and acquire some of the other skills, some of the other things that we're talking about here. It is a problem, I think, within the organizations, but it probably goes broadly. Uh, much, much broader than that. That's exactly right. I think we've probably all experienced it. Whether you're in at like an IT position or like a financial analyst or something like that, you've got this person who's really good at the technical aspect of the job and they do produce those numbers. They're highly productive. So they get promoted into management. And this is where I talk about the confusion between leadership and management comes in. They get promoted into management and they're expected to do those management jobs, allocate resources, get the numbers up, but then they're also expected to be inspiring. But their personality and their background doesn't lend them to being that inspiring person. So then they default to just being a manager and sort of cracking the whip, trying to get people to produce the numbers that they want. That's one of the dangers that I see is that going back to what I said again, is a lot of organizations, they just don't have a clear understanding of the difference between a leader and a manager. They expect the one person to do them both. And those aren't necessarily always compatible skill sets. It might actually be completely opposite skill sets. The qualities that made the salesperson a good salesperson might be precisely the qualities that will make him a bad manager and a bad leader. Somebody who's very focused on one thing, for instance, somebody who might not have the best people skill, somebody who might be a little cold, a little brusque, maybe a little bit domineering with, with prospects, which might lead to sales. But when you have to manage a team of people, might lower morale. But the obvious choice when you go to promote somebody is to say, well, take the best performing person on the line and promote them to some kind of line management position. Because the organization takes a risk that if they don't promote the person who's performing according to the numbers, that the person performing according to the numbers will leave because they don't think they're being given their due. But it's a hard conversation to have with an employee that we're not going to promote you because what makes you an effective employee will make you a bad manager. Back in my IT days, the company I was working with, Verizon, they were recognizing that problem and they were trying to develop. I didn't stay long enough to actually see this, but they were talking about trying to develop two career paths. One was a you stay on the technical side. The other was you go into management and become that leader type person. But both sides offered pretty high ceiling so that if you wanted to stay technical, you didn't have to worry about having to switch over into management if you wanted to rise up in the company. But I don't know whatever came of that, but I thought it was a pretty good idea to at least look at it. It mirrors how, for instance, the military has a distinction between the enlisted and the officer 
class. And those tracks run somewhat parallel to one another, but not really. I mean, the responsibilities ultimately are quite different. So I think organizations would, companies and nonprofit organizations and governmental organizations would do well perhaps to copy that model to some degree, to have people who can remain in non-managerial roles, but the ceiling be far higher for them. Uh, because switching to a management track is often extremely different and, and comes with a lot of pressures that they might not be prepared for. And if your only incentive is to move up in that path, then you lose out on sort of their better skills because they're sacrificing what they're really good at. I saw similar tracks at the consulting firms I was at where they tried to develop that out. Now, ultimately, you need people, uh, the people that were highest compensated were going to be the ones that were doing full leadership, right? Because they were going to managing larger groups and, and you know, growth of the organization. But you needed to have that other side of it. The organizations I thought that worked better were the ones that valued the two distinct paths. They seem to have a better path forward for valuing the skill sets that both brought. All right. Yeah, I'm not sure we landed on specific definitions, but I think everything we talked about was was spot on in terms of how I would think of leadership. Someone that's able to see the long term, someone that's going to be able to inspire a group of people to go after a goal. They're going to be, you know, a lot of it is working on people in the organization and gathering that up and then converting that into more of the management task of actually allocating resources. So I'm going to summarize at that level. We started this conversation with a concern with a lack of leadership or an issue with leadership in the modern world. I think we're all sort of feeling like we don't see a lot of it. And I will throw out a couple of examples that come to mind that I think are obvious on their face. I think the COVID-19 response globally has been completely bungled, and I don't think it's just a U.S. phenomenon. I think the Afghanistan withdrawal by the U.S. president was just an absolute debacle. And I would go further and say that what I've felt for a long time is that the leadership of the United States is overly bureaucratic. And it's lacking for, it feels like we're getting a series of managers and not leaders. But at least the first two, I think I could probably get agreement on. Robert, Robert, what do you think? I see you smiling. There's certainly the two most prominent right now. You hit the nail on the head when you said, and I'm glad we talked about the distinction between managers and leaders, because it's true that the US has managers uh, with kind of puppet-like leaders at the top who are ultimately unaccountable. They kind of put on the show of leadership occasionally, but there's none of the potential downside for them. They're never really held to account if something goes wrong. And I think those two examples you gave are the best examples of that because how many people have resigned or been fired over the past few years as a result of handling COVID and handling our foreign policy? Nobody. I can't think of any. I mean, maybe some low-level people have been made to resign. But none of the leadership, has, the so-called leadership has. That, to me, proves right there the, how much of a crisis we're in. I agree. Wiz, I want to turn to you. I mean, when you're looking at a crisis of leadership, do, are these the first examples that come to mind, or do you have other ones that are top of mind? I like both of those. I think those are really good ones. And, I, you know, not to put my conspiracy theorist hat on, but, you know, a part of me wonders, you see so many debacles, you know, and just lack of skill that you have to wonder at some point whether or not some of those failures are deliberate in the sense that, you know, maybe there are things going on behind the scenes that we're not aware of. You know, we could go on and on about that. But I think that, yeah, I'm trying to think of anything else that really pops up in my mind as being uh, present day ones. Not to be political, but I think that the way the last election shook out, I think that there were, you know, you had easily half the country wondering if, if it was honest 
So and to me, that that's a lack of leadership, I think. Robert, you were saying people aren't really held accountable for their actions. Scott, ask you the question, do you think Trump getting voted out of office, given what we dealt with in the first part of the pandemic, do you think that was him being held to account? I don't know how you can hold someone accountable when there's so much noise in the system. But we don't know how much of the COVID response was Trump and how much of it was other elements of the of the government working against him. So that's a really good question. I think maybe we could answer it in the way of saying that based off of the information that was out there and given the control of the information on social media and some of the corporate news outlets, then maybe he was being held accountable by the people. But if they had all of the information, maybe they would not have felt the need to hold him accountable. That's one of the difficulties about making that judgment when you're talking about a political leader in the U.S. where there's just so much propaganda and so much misinformation out there that it's really hard to know what's truthful and what's not. Hey folks, I wanted to jump in here and say a quick thank you. We've had a lot of new listeners come on board in the last couple of months, and we're happy to see our numbers growing. And we know you have a lot of options in how you spend your time, and Paul and I are grateful that you're choosing to spend it with us. And it has us highly motivated to keep bringing you new episodes and improving the quality of our content. But we have a small favor to ask of you. If you like the show, please share it. And please go out to your podcast player of choice and like, follow, subscribe, or whatever. That way, our new episodes will automatically show up in your feed, and then we'll get more more attention from the podcast gods. Robert, you know, thinking about this paradigm between leader and manager, we've had the current administration since January. How do you think, just just, just focus on COVID-19 for a minute, how would you think that a leader would respond to what they've done versus maybe what a manager would have done? And maybe some differences. I'm not sure if those thoughts have come to your mind already, or, you know, if I put you on the spot, do things come to mind? Well, to back up, I could kind of back into that by saying that one of the mistakes I think the Trump administration made was to continually confuse the idea of leadership and management. So that from day one, what you had was a kind of mix of the two where you would have Trump go up from a press, for a press conference and kind of give a few remarks. And then he would hand it over to somebody like Fauci or some health department person who would then talk about numbers and talk about logistical details and such, none of which most people care about or grasp. And a lot of times the bureaucratic message, because the bureaucrats were not pro-Trump, the messages were often at odds with one another. You had Trump supporting certain things, you had the bureaucrats supporting other things. This created a lot of noise and friction between the two. So that from day one, it was a struggle within the administration that ultimately hurt them very badly. But whether that was the sole reason why he he lost the election, I can't say, but it was certainly a reason why he, he may have he may have lost certain people. I think the Biden administration has done largely the same thing, except um, I mean, to bring my views into it has just trampled on civil liberties in a much more egregious way. But they've, they've still made that fundamental mistake as well. I agree. And what came to mind recently with thinking about this idea of management and leadership. So if we go back to what do we think a leader, leader is? Well, one thing we didn't talk about that has to be taken into consideration is Donald Rumsfeld concept or idea. It's like when you go to battle, you go to battle with the army you have, not the one you want. So any leader is going to come into an organization, they will be able to choose some of the people potentially, but 
in all reality, they're not going to choose everyone from the foot soldier up to their senior leadership. They're going to inherit some people, right? And so every president, every CEO, they're going to inherit that body and they have to choose how they work with it. And there's limitations to what they can achieve with it. Over time, they can change that. If you're at the helm of a company for 20 some years or a military division, etc., you have the potential to put a greater imprint on it. And that means getting rid of people that don't see the world as you do, or uh, lack some of the skills that you believe should be there. Um, and so I say that to say that I, I, I agree. I think that there was a lot of friction on the previous administration. I think there was a dead on arrival kind of friction. You know, as a as an analogy, I, I know people that had talked about the that are in DC that had talked about always wanting to be working for an administration, and it always been slightly neutral, even though these people are left of center. And then when Trump came in, it was absolutely no way. And they actually received uh, requests saying, "Hey, would you like to come work for this administration with different posts?" And they said, "No way." So the administration wasn't able to fill some of the posts that it had. A lot of criticism came to them uh, for for not filling those posts, but then you have the issue of just people saying, well, we're not going to work with this this group. So I say all that to say, when we're looking at some of these, these situations, you've got someone like Fauci, who's a career bureaucrat that does have a strong imprint over his organization. And then he's at odds with the president. Does the president even have the ability and the political power to actually get rid of him? Maybe he's able to do that in 2016, but at the height of the crisis, everyone's going to tell him, you're, you're insane. You're not really being a good leader. Right. If if you get rid of uh, a man who's got forty plus years, he's in, in a lot of ways someone like a Fauci is you're being told is is the man for the part. Right. He was born for this. Um, but fast forward, and I want to get your guys' thoughts here because I, I thought a, a little bit about this just this week um, or last week. We hear about a, a mandate for vaccines, and the messaging that you hear from the administration is I think the wording is something like you know our patience is running thin. Everyone needs to get the vaccine. Now it's t- the time to do it. The expectation is that businesses are now going to be running, you know, helping to run this game. And I thought to myself, wow, this is fascinating. The only thing that I, from my understanding that the administration has really done since, since seeing the ground is focused on vaccines. I haven't seen anything to say we need to build up our PPE stockpiles. I haven't seen anything to say what kind of therapeutics are we going to be focused Thank on? Thank you. For back to the show. Do, even if they have breakthrough cases, we have we have issues to deal with. How are we supposed to have expanded hospital capacity in cases and when we have flare-ups? And what are we doing to prevent the next one? In my mind, I was like, isn't that part of what a real leader would look at? Is you come in there and you say, okay, we, we have to do something. I think even if you agree with mask and vaccine mandates, we're hearing nonstop that we're going to expect the next pandemic to come. So we need to be prepared for that. So I would think a leader is going to be asking our questions, how are we prepared for the next one? And I don't see any of that. I don't know, Wiz, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push on you a little bit. I mean, what are your thoughts here when you think about that? Yeah, I, I don't see any of that either. And I, I guess for me, again, it goes back to some type of hidden agenda, maybe, you know, where... I don't know if you guys are familiar with Saul Alinsky, and he had a, a principle where you create situations where you can ultimately take away rights from people. And the whole messaging from the current administration, to me anyway, has, has been, let's take away more and more of your rights to help you feel more secure. And I think the vast majority of the population, not majority, but I think a lot of people are okay with that. And if you're assuming good faith, which I'm, So, I'm so you're, you're almost from, implying... 
Yeah, I was saying, that, so you're almost saying that even, I mean, this lack of leadership, some of the questions that I'm asking, they would be off the table anyways, because they wouldn't really give you the leverage you want to be able to take away people's rights. Right. That's sort of my current perspective. I, I'd like to be able to assume that there's good intentions there. But from what I've seen, I, I don't, unfortunately don't think that. I can understand how anybody would feel that way, frankly. Scott, you were, you were going to say something. I rudely cut you off. This whole vaccine mandate thing, it runs against so many principles of good leadership. We mentioned earlier that leaders have to be long-term thinking, and I don't think there was anything long-term about this from the response, because we now have information that the immunity or antibodies, whatever, from the vaccine is more narrow than the antibodies that you get from natural immunity. So what that could cause, what that can cause is certain strains, if you're vaccinated, certain strains of the virus will get shut down, but other possibly more virulent strains are going to get past the vaccine and then they're going to have a larger opportunity to proliferate. Whereas if you rely on just the natural herd immunity that humans have relied on ever since they got their first cold, I've heard viruses have been around longer than humans have. So we've been dealing with viruses forever. So if you let the natural immunity expand or spread throughout the population, then that wider range of resistance will help prevent some of those variants from having the opportunity to fill in, I guess, and kind of take up the environment. The other thing too is as far as long-term planning, they had to know that this was going to be a terribly divisive issue. Instead, they went for the short-term goal, which is that we've got to do something about this now. But the reality is, is the numbers just don't really indicate that it's as dire as what they make it out to be. And they certainly aren't telling people that you can go get more vitamin D and exercise more and greatly improve your chances of not getting hospitalized. They are focusing solely on one thing, and that's the vaccine. And that is showing a very short-term focus. And this is one of the problems with democracy is when you have people in these defined terms, two years, four years, six years, whatever, they're going to become very short-term focused because they may not be around at the end of their term. They may not get reelected. But the other thing too is we talked about accountability. They know that if they make the wrong call, they're not going to be held accountable for anything. Look at Afghanistan. What was it when Biden took office? He said that the buck stops with him or whatever. And then he immediately started blaming Trump when the withdrawal from Afghanistan went bad. So they've always, the politicians, they've always got someone else to point the finger at. The other thing is ego. How much ego is there in this? How much of this decision is driven by just arrogance? The idea that these bureaucrats know what's better for the rest of the country is laughable to me. And they're not going to admit that they they maybe made a mistake. So they're doubling down on this idea of vaccines being the only answer, even as more evidence comes out that maybe it's not, maybe that there's other treatments that would be just as effective. Evidence is coming out that maybe, like I said earlier, this just isn't as dire of a situation that would warrant all of this. Another thing, too, is you have to be able to look at the entire situation and you have to be able to decide what course of action is best for us moving forward. And then you have to decide who are the best people to get us there. I don't think any of that happened. You guys mentioned before, you know, relying on career bureaucrats who we don't have any idea what their goals are. We don't have any idea what relationships they have with the pharmaceutical companies or anything like that. It brings 
credibility questions into the frame. And then that further hurts their leadership because they're not inspiring anyone because everyone like me is taking everything they say. And the first thought that pops into my head is they're lying. There's some ulterior motive here. I don't trust them. Now, I hope that I've gotten to the point where I can step back from that after a little while and maybe look at the evidence, but it's uh, that's still the first thought that pops into my head. But I think the biggest indication that this was just absolutely a failure of leadership is that if leadership is this ability to inspire people to all work towards some common goal, the fact that so many people don't want to get the vaccine is telling me that they weren't inspiring anybody. They didn't have the right message out there. If this is such a dangerous virus, I mean, people should be climbing over top of each other to get the vaccine. And yet that's not it. So their entire messaging, and I think this goes back to the lack of trust that the country has in them, it shouldn't even be hard to get people to want to take the vaccine. And yet it is. Man, there's a lot to unpack there. The one point that really comes to mind to me is trust and a lack of it and how precious it is that once you, what what do they say? It takes years to build it up and a day to destroy it or even one comet to destroy it. Uh, We didn't talk about that at the beginning about what leadership is, but I think having people believe that you're authentic and honest in what you're doing, not that you're perfect, but that you're going to try and do the right thing. Part of that is the accountability that when you make a mistake, you own it. And I think you also acknowledge the contributions of others to cut across the line. Here, we're talking about a very political problem, but it doesn't have to be political. Your predecessor, if they did something right, you should acknowledge that. If they did something wrong, I would focus less on on, on them and the fact that you've, you've made a different decision to move in a different direction based on new data. Here's what it is. And, and explaining and adding that transparency. Robert, thoughts there on, are these isolated instances I think I know what your answer is, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Are these isolated near-term instances, or is this part of a larger picture where we're seeing failure of leadership for a long, long time? I think this is a long-term problem. Um, It hasn't happened overnight, but I think it's going to persist. I mean, there's nothing nowadays that really will get people, will inspire people to become leaders because the potential consequences of failure have become so great in our society. Because the nature of media, the nature of social media. Failure lasts forever. Your reputation can be destroyed so suddenly and so permanently. You can be dragged through the mud. You can be libeled in the media. You can be called all sorts of names if you put out the wrong message. A message, for instance, that goes against whatever the mainstream message is. And the consequences are now going farther than that to the point where you can be hindered from even doing business in the normal world. You could be kicked off platforms. You can be blackballed by vendors. So the incentive structure of this country no longer rewards leadership. So it shouldn't. it's not really any surprise to me that we've gotten less of it. I think the bright side to this is that the next generation of leaders, if they come, will be that much more inspiring and powerful because they will have had to navigate all of these risks and pitfalls in society in order to get where they are. It's kind of almost a winnowing process where all the weak leaders will eventually be weeded out of the system. I hope there's something left on the other side of that. I don't see anyone at the moment. I'm talking uh, in macro terms on the political scene. But even in the business world, there's no one I can really think of save for maybe one or two people who strikes me as having those qualities of being of being willing to go against the mainstream and put their neck on the line. 
I'm curious what you guys think about how it impacts the micro. We, we just talked about the very macro examples. And you know, there we talk about someone having a business and that business being taken away from them for having an opinion that runs counter to a narrative. What about, I mean, I guess at local, local area. So if you attend a place of worship or if you're involved in a local society focused on I don't know, charity or something like that. Do you guys see examples where leadership is being softened to the point that it, it just, it's more management? It doesn't really have vision? I can mention my home church that I used to go to, where after the lead pastor left, it steadily went downhill. And I think fundamentally it was just due to lack of dedication. And, you know, the senior pastor at the time just wasn't interested really in stepping up and going above and beyond. I don't know what the reason for that is, though. I mean, because I think it is more prevalent now, like Robert's saying. To me, the, the a big problem is just the general lack of community in the United States, the lack of cohesiveness. And that affects everything from the macro level down to the micro level. I mean, look, one of the reasons why there's a failure in leadership right now at the top is that we define leadership as a way to get people to move towards a common purpose. What is that common purpose? It hasn't been defined by our so-called leaders. Does it even exist at this point? Do we share enough values as a society in order to move towards a common purpose? And at the micro level, we're so atomized as communities that you very often don't know the incentive to lead a group of people is taken away because you might not have any bonds with them. Why lead a group of people you don't have an emotional attachment to? That's a big problem. Let me think about this. So if I steel manned the Biden agenda, just to take it on a national level, right? you could argue that he's saying, well, our vision is to be green. Our vision is to have strong safety nets. Our vision is to have a an economy that works for everyone and leaves no one behind. So I guess as as people, uh, I have my own answers to why I, I find that to be a soft leadership view. But I, I guess, I, do you guys have thoughts? Like, do you think that's a, a start of a vision? Do you think that's a half-baked vision? Do you think it's not a vision at all? What, what do you guys think? That's a party vision. In the past, that wouldn't have been enough to be considered an effective president because a president is president of of all Americans. So we used to have a civic religion in this country, if you will, that was sort of united around a particular idea of patriotism and about a particular idea of what the United States is, which would have enabled people to see legitimacy in a particular president, even if the agenda was not what they voted for. I don't think we have that anymore. I don't think the vision matters at all if the people don't trust you. If they think that you're talking about a vision, but you're not living up to that vision, then why would anyone else want to follow it? So it doesn't matter. The observation on the breakdown of communities is interesting. Farnham Street had an article a couple months ago talking about just that fact that when you have a breakdown in community, you start to trust people around you less. So then you start doing things more to protect yourself than you do to protect the community or to work for the community. So then you're not providing as much value. And when we have that breakdown in community, we do start looking at the people at the top with more skepticism. We do start asking ourselves, what are the ulterior motives here? And that feeds right back into the vision. When you have that breakdown of community and you're not trusting the people that you're in the community with, then their vision, it doesn't matter because you have your own vision and you're working more for yourself. It makes me think a chicken and an egg kind of scenario. Which do you need to, to bootstrap and get going first? 
I think I agree if it's the same concept that we lack a social cultural cohesion. In fact, I remember in, I want to say 2017, I was overseas on a trip and uh, we were meeting with a couple that were from England and they were talking about Brexit. And I think one of them was pro, one of them was against. And obviously the, our, our president came up and they said, well, why do you think this belligerent man was elected? And I said, well, I want to know your thoughts. I mean, you're as an outside observer, what did you think? And they said, well, it's clearly because half of America is sexist. They didn't want a woman. And I said, well, that's, that's an interesting take. My thought is that we lack social cohesion, that we're lacking a cultural spirit that allows us to unite, and that we had two imperfect people coming up to bat that I think if I could have chosen from a different pool, I, I likely would have. Just based on age alone, I probably would have chosen someone younger, someone with different ideas of, of vision. And so I'm a firm believer that our culture is eroding and we're struggling with that. And I know I've mentioned on, on some of the casts this idea of the fourth turning book, which I, I find very interesting, the Robert Putnam ideas of, of bullying alone, just the fact that our society is struggling to have a common bond. And I feel as though we're, we're dealing with a two-front war at this point. And that two-front is, is the internal culture is, is the first front. Uh, where we don't have a cohesion and that we're we're battling with a series of activists that are looking to transform the culture without having any direction. And that's consistent with any type of cultural revolution that's ever happened anywhere uh, in, in the last hundred years, where most of the people that want to take control, they end up trying to take it. When they do have it, they don't actually understand how to manage anything. And they turn into dictatorial authoritarians and you get things like what happens in Cambodia and North Korea, et cetera. So I think that's a big problem. And what I don't know is how do you start to fix it? Is it Does it start with just a better leader coming in or does it start with a crisis that could actually propel us to a new place? And I'm leaning towards we need a crisis, as odd as that sounds, given what I just said, this idea that we're fighting a two-front war. The, the, other, the other side of that, that war, the other front to me is having to deal with external challenges and conflicts like uh, the growing belligerent of the CCP. I wonder if part of it is age. So talking about the arrogance of the leaders, one of the things that I see is that our leaders are getting older, and I think their arrogance is making them think that we can't operate without them, so they won't leave office. So then we end up with a bunch of people who are more and more out of touch with the everyday person making decisions for the everyday person. Have you guys seen any of the videos of the tech companies going and sitting in front of Congress to give testimony? And you see all these old dudes sitting up there and blank looks on their faces. Like they have no idea what any of this stuff is. They don't have any idea how social media works or any of that. Because of the arrogance of these people, they don't want to leave. They're almost keeping us from being able to move forward. What was the Thomas Jefferson quote? We need a little revolution every now and again or something like that. So, Paul, maybe you're right. We do need some sort of a crisis that is going to help us go through and clear some of these people out. Because one thing we certainly don't need is Nancy Pelosi sitting there on national TV talking about how everyone loves her because she's the one that feeds us or whatever the hell it was she said. She did have a big locker of ice cream, if I recall. Yeah, in her like $20,000 Sub-Zero freezer or whatever it was. So what do you guys think? Do you think we need, where do you think a a reversion to the mean to better leadership starts? Is it just somebody, a younger generation comes in? Do you think it's spurred by conflict? Is it something else? Does it start local and we just see it grow to the national? 
I don't know. I, I, you know, talking about all the things we've seen recently, I just, I have high hopes that we will see people coming out of the woodwork and, and maybe COVID-19 and, and Afghanistan and, you know, the election, maybe that, that'll be enough to bring some, some good people forward that have their heart in the right place. Robert, are you of the same mind, different mind? I think whatever you see is going to happen first on a smaller scale. I think that the the current institutions that we have at the uh, federal level and even at the state level are too ossified for any meaningful reform to happen. I think that I agree with you that it's going to take some type of crisis in order for big change to be affected. And now, I, I don't think we're going to have a shortage of crises over the next few years. I think there will be ample opportunity for people to come forward who will be the next generation of leaders. And they're not going to come from the people who are uh, in elected office right now. Uh, my prediction is that the next person we're talking about as a great leader, I hate using that term, it has kind of North Korean reflect, uh, inflections to it, but the next person we're talking about on the national scale, in terms of having great leadership skills, is going to be someone we never heard of until relatively recently. So you don't think Greta Thunberg is is our next great leader? <laughs> well, I mean, people who I would think uh, of as being great leaders. Okay. Um, I'm sure, sure there are some people who would be willing to jump on her bandwagon, but uh, not me. I wonder how much COVID acted as a as a wasted opportunity because you could look at that as as a, a great crisis. I mean, it globally has knocked several points GDP trillions of dollars of GDP off the global balance sheet. It shut down transportation. What we're seeing right now is a global shutdown coming from China and its ports being clogged up. I mean, the the effects of this virus have um, are, are going to be many years in the making and. And yet, I, when I look at a response, it it just it shows none of the leadership you would you would hope to see, and it shows all of the challenges that you would you would expect to see under a poorly managed, using your term, ossified kind of structure. And it's not unique to the United States. I think a lot of the problems we're talking about today are the United States. But if I look at the response from other countries, some I think have done a better job in some areas, but I would say overall, it's just been piss poor. I, I I don't know um, how else to, to say it. I mean, Australia right now, I really have to wonder what they're going to look like in 12 months uh, with some of what's going on. I know France right now, they're dealing with, uh, I think they're on their eighth week of, of weekly protests of people being out there and denouncing the mandatory vaccine passport. So you're seeing a lot of unrest over something that you wonder if, if we had had real leadership across the board. And we didn't. I mean, we had so much confusion at every single head of state just looking at COVID and then obviously looking at what happened in Afghanistan. I'm at a loss for words. Again, it's, I guess, they, it what didn't have to be the crisis that it was that it turned into and they made it worse. It's like they, they put gasoline and threw it on a lit match. And so it's, it's baffling to me. So it almost makes me wonder, what is the tipping point? What, what kind of conflict do we actually have to come across in order for us to be made cohesive? I, I don't know what the answer is there. It feels like it's going to be, it's going to be, have to be full on armed conflict with uh, <laughs> <laughs> a major country. Well, I think the common, uh, the common thread that that's running through all of that poor responses from various countries and so forth is that nobody, to my knowledge, has ever defined what 
the end point is for all of this. No one has ever said, we will stop the intrusion on your liberties when X happens. In other words, what's the end game? When is it over? I mean, you know when you've achieved a goal, when you communicate what achieving that goal will look like, right? Okay, our goal for the fourth quarter is to hit this target. We have to hit this revenue target. If we hit it, we know that we hit it. What's the goal here? Never to have an infection ever again? Because that's never going to happen. And that's what scares me, that there's no goal defined. And there's no possible goal that could be defined that puts an end to this. I, I hear you. Scott, what are you thinking? I'm just wondering... I agree with what you said, Robert, but is that a failure of leadership or, or under our model, would that be a failure of management? Because I think leadership, there may not be an end goal. There's always just moving forward, whereas management is, they're the ones who define the end of the project. So, and maybe that's a distinction that we don't really need to make. The point I'm trying to make is it may not just be a failure of leadership that's a problem, but it also a failure to properly manage the resources that are involved in the COVID response or in getting the troops and uh, American citizens out of Afghanistan. Right. But in this case, it's the, in our case, for instance, it's the president who has to communicate that. So that's a leadership concept. The president is both the head of state and the head of government. You know, he has a responsibility no matter who it is, to communicate what it is we're moving towards. We're making all of these sacrifices, and yet people are still very confused as to where it ends. And then it's the bureaucrat's responsibility to then take those orders, to then take that vision and implement. Now, under Trump, as I said, you had the disconnect between what the leadership wanted and what the managerial bureaucrats wanted. Under the Biden administration, they're more aligned because the vast majority of D.C. bureaucrats are Democrats. And yet we still have failures, even when the people working in the bureaucracy are in ideological alignment with the elected leadership. I feel like that observation is why so many people distrust what's happening right now, because whatever's being run by Fauci, as example, they seem to come out with inconsistent messaging on masks. Last year was a huge issue. Then uh, when they were rolling out the vaccines, they took one of the vaccine off because it had some noticeable issues that they wanted to investigate and then they put it back on. A lot of the messaging here, I, I just wonder how much of it could it be different if they said, listen, we're learning this in real time. We're going to be as transparent as we can be. Here's the guidance. To your point, here's the guidance based on this objective. And, you know, I, I guess say, saying that, I'm thinking there, there's also something to be said about having the right objective. You know, I remember in the midst of what was happening last year, California coming up with a scorecard saying, if, if we hit these numbers, here's your tiers and here's everything that you have to do. And I think there's still questions about, was that even driven by science, right? This idea that I can't even go out of my house to breathe and I'm, I'm not within a mile, a half a mile of somebody. I don't need a mask on. There's zero value to it. So I, I think that there's, there has to be that objective that's being talked about. It has to be informed with the right sensibility. And, and clearly more of a, of a broad view, especially when you're thinking about, it's not just about having a surge at the hospitals, it's about the impact on people's mental well-being if they have to stay home, parents not being able to go to work because they have to take care of their kids. Then you've got the issues of just the economy slowing down because now, as, as we were talking about supply chain issues, you got to have all that. And that's that, again, goes back to this idea of we don't seem to have, we don't, to your point, I guess you're saying, hey, what is our objective? Is the, How is the objective being informed by the best science that we have today? Because this is very much a scientific question. 
And then what are the calculations that are being made with some other kind of how do I put it? Like thinking about some of these other variables, right? I mean, a mask, uh, a vaccine mandate, is it really needed the way that it was done here? I don't feel like there was any compassion shown here, honestly, to all the people that maybe have an issue with not wanting to have a vaccine. There's the principles behind it, but there's also health issues. None of that seemed to come out. To me, it, it felt like someone who was who was more of a, uh, what's the term? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to come to a term, but it's, it's just someone who's frustrated, who says, well, I've got the power, so you're going to do what I want to do, and not really feeling the leadership vibe, if you will. I think that would be a petulant dictator, maybe. <laughs> well, it's, it's very hard to lead people you have contempt for. So yeah. I am of the belief that politicians, I'm not going to name names, but a lot of politicians nowadays are put in charge of people they really don't like. And they say this. I mean, they say this in their speeches. President Biden said that he, you know, our patience is wearing thin with the unvaccinated. You know, that is a large group of people in the United States that he is targeting with his language. He, you know, he, they clearly don't have sympathy for these people. Imagine being the CEO of an organization, giving a speech in front of all your employees and putting the marketing department against the, the business development department or putting the sales department against the uh, finance department and expecting an organization to run on that dynamic doesn't work. No, it doesn't. All right. So I feel like this is turning into a sour hour, as I call them, right? And so the happy hours, we turn into the sour hour. So I don't want our listeners to think that it, there is no hope. You can't be thinking about better ways of building up leadership. So let's, why don't we why don't we wrap this up talking a little bit about what are things that we think we can do on an individual level? I, obviously, you can vote dip for different people, and that's great. You can run organizations, but I know Robert, you had shared some of your notes. You were thinking about some ways in which you think you, we can do a better job of trying to promote better leadership. Well, I think that given the situation that we're in, how you live your own individual life is going to have a very big impact on how we live as a society moving forward. I think something as simple as how you interact with people, enunciating your vision, enunciating your morals, living your life according to those morals will inspire other people to do so. And hopefully this will have some kind of a, triple, a trickle up effect of people working together. This is not something that's going to happen overnight, but we can't continue on the path that we're on. I do think it's going to start with the individual. I don't think we're going, I don't think we could sit by and wait for CEOs and business leaders to sort of change society. I think that's something that we've been doing wrong all along. We've been deferring all of this responsibility and all of this moral value to people who are perceived as better than us in society, whether it's politicians or business leaders or journalists even. Um, and we've forgotten how to kind of live our lives as leaders of our own lives. I like that. I like that. Wiz, what are your thoughts on how to encourage better leadership? Well, I think it all starts, you know, it, it starts small. It starts on the personal level. And it's a matter of encouraging people to understand that there's a need there and it, it, it needs to be filled. And, you know, leadership isn't necessarily flashy. It's not the, you know, it, it, it doesn't have necessarily the accolades that you think you know, would go with it. And especially if you're on a side that doesn't have a whole lot of support. But regardless of that, you know, it, it, it's still needed and, and we need people to step forward and show that they're not so easily swayed by material things. And it's, it's so I, I think that's, that's where it starts. And, you know, for a person that wants to learn this, I think it's, it's as simple as reading up on 
good leadership and understanding what some of the great ones throughout history have done and, and why they did what they did. And, you know, taking that time to understand your own thinking process. And I think beyond that, you know, as you continue to work on yourself, understanding there's really a few key components to it. And going back to the earlier part in the conversation, it's not not being a bean counter and, and, you know, just relying on pure metrics to move forward. A lot of it is confidence developed within yourself being comfortable with ambiguity and, you know, taking those chances and, and moving forward. And I think as people start developing that within themselves, you know, then they can get more involved with politics if, if that's the avenue they want to go on a small local scale. And, you know, we get more and more people like that. I think that it can it can snowball and you can really create profound change. I like that. I like that a lot. Scott, what are your thoughts? I think it's going to come in the form of building up that community aspect that we talked about that we were missing, whether it's something like the Freedom Cell Network or some other movement. I think people are going to start identifying others who are around them and they're going to start building up that community again and they're going to start building up that trust. And you're going to almost end up with maybe a parallel process or parallel society. You'll have these smaller communities who all depend on each other and work together. Maybe one person in the community is an attorney who well, helps out the rest of the attorney. Maybe someone is a mechanic who helps out the rest of the mechanic or helps out people who have car troubles. They maybe don't accept payment in exchange they or, or they don't accept cash or anything in exchange they they set up payment another way so they're they're existing outside of the system that way i think you're going to start to see those networks really coming up and starting to grow the other thing is we're starting to see some pushback against the tyranny coming from the government the rnc is planning on suing biden over his vaccine mandates and I saw a map not too long ago where there's like 26 states or something like that who wasn't going to enforce the mandates. So you're starting to see that. The danger with that, though, is if the Republicans push back against the Democrats and they win the fight, then there's nothing stopping the Republicans from just turning around and being just as poor leaders as the Democrats are at this point in time. It's like one bad leader fighting with another bad leader. You know, the people on the bottom, they're screwed either way. But it is nice to see that going down to the more community grassroots level, you're starting to see here in the U.S. protests and people banding together and working towards fighting back against these mandates. And that goes back to the community thing. I think that's where it's going to start is these just small communities. So micro leadership growing and maturing into our macro leadership. I'm going to add my point, which I already share, but I think if you take all of that and then you put it in the right time and context for these leaders to show their skill set and the resolve. I, I've recently been reading about Eisenhower and Patton and other leaders during World War II and just some amazing decision makers and strategists who at the right point in time made very difficult decisions. And you, if you, if you start to read the whole life story, you, you get a sense for in many ways they had decades building up to the hardest decisions that they had to make. It wasn't a, you know, they, as soon as they had their first commission that they were able to make the best decisions imaginable. There was a lot of experience that was built. So it took time, but at the right time, they stood up and took control. Again, made tough decisions. I'm sure not always the easiest decisions. And there were many lives that were put on line for that. That is what leadership is. But if you take everything that you guys are talking about from building up leaders at a small level, talking about those skill sets, putting it into our local communities, 
uh, building up new areas where we have leaders at the right time, they can come together and lead us to wherever we need to go. So I think for all of our listeners out there, we want to have this conversation because it's something that's top of mind for us. We are concerned. We want to see better leadership out there and uh, we're, we're hoping for it and we want to see it. So we will encourage all you guys to go out there and start figuring out better ways to encourage the leadership that we're going to need in the next decade and the next two decades uh, to, to take this country and, um, and our communities to wherever uh, we think they need to go and hopefully in a better place. Wiz and Robert, thank you for joining us again. Your third, your third round. You guys are going to have to come back for a fourth round at this point. It's just going to become like the, the every other podcast. We're going to have to be talking about something. So we really appreciate you guys coming back here today. Well, uh, I appreciate being on and uh, I'll, happy to come back if i'm not in the gulag we'll, we'll see about that <laughs> <laughs> yeah my, my pleasure thanks for having us guys well if you're in the gulag either one of you then we'll have to create an escape plan and we'll have to watch some old movies for that hopefully they aren't banned because they have all the tactics in them all those movies going back <laughs> to breaking people out of jail well thanks guys really appreciate it and to all those out there wherever you're finding us we'd love to hear your thoughts and comments if it's on itunes if it's on stitcher if it's on spotify wherever it is let us know your thoughts we'd love to hear from you and mentallyinscripted.com is another place where you can find us we will leave the information for wiz and for robert in the show notes you can find them go follow them on you on uh, twitter sorry twitter they've got amazing information to share so that will be it for uh, today and until next time take care be well we'll be in touch soon